You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Bank angle, bank angle, caution, terrain, don't sink, don't sink, glide slow, pull up, wind shear, wind shear, sink rate, pull up, traffic, traffic. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host. I'm the creator of the podcast series. I have a co-host. Her role is to ask questions that are going to help people understand what's actually going on and what actually happened because I don't want this to be too technical. So today we're going to be talking about a corporate jet flight called East Coast Jets 81. Alyssa? Hey. Do you know what this is going to be about? I know it's going to be about an airplane incident. An incident, right. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Alyssa. Okay. Well, and then, and then, and then I'll give myself the the shameless the, plug. The shameless plug. Perfect. <laughs> my name is Alyssa Meyer. I will be your co-host today. I am a performer and entertainer. Dance is my first love. So I dance, I act, I produce, uh, choreograph, direct. I sing sometimes if you need me to. Only if you really need me to. And, and, and you, have a, uh, you have a beautiful voice. Oh, I thank you. And I uh, do podcasts with my friend Shannon on the side. Hey, that's perfect. I love it. <laughs> I'm a pilot and I'm fly, I am fly the Boeing 787 for a major U.S. airline. I've worked extensively in charter and corporate operations, including for a major manufacturer as a demo pilot. I have 11 type ratings. I've been flying as a professional for 20 years this year, but I've been a licensed pilot since 1994. I'm not sure you were born then. Mm-mm. No. Okay. So quite a while. I owned a training consulting company. I'm trained in safety management. I've flown in airline operations. I've flown in charter operations and I've flown privately, but I have experience in a whole variety of aviation, aviation management, but I'm trying to break into the field of aviation material expert for creative projects like film and literature and television. Material expert as in... Uh, like a consult, like a material consultant, like consultant. somebody would ask me, "Does this look right?" Like you, well, you talked about, uh, what is it called? Continuity, right? For continuity with uh, books or scripts or film. Or- so, like if I was producing a film, I had a plane in my film, and I wanted to make sure that everything was technically correct. Yeah. Yeah. I would hire you as as a consultant to make sure that it complied with what is real. Aviation expert, right? And if <laughs> did you ever watch CNN and the the guy gets on there and he's like. Well, the airplane, and he's not really a qualified person to be talking. He's like somebody, probably somebody at the studio's uncle who happens to be a pilot, right? (laughs) He's not actually an aviation expert. I would like to be that aviation expert. That's one of the things I would like to do. So I'm just trying to get started there. Well, that's that's awesome. You're already on the right track. You love doing research about planes and, you know, you always said you have that creative side that you feel like you don't get to use while driving driving airplanes lol flying yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know but you're right and that and that's kind of like that's kind of why we're here i was just kind of daydreaming like what kind of creative project can i do i came up with this podcast series you're here we're gonna go run through the incident of the day this one's different than mm-hmm. episode one episode one we dealt with tiger 66 which was a basically a 747 cargo airline and that was like a whole comedy of errors this is less of a comedy of errors, but still pretty shocking and some some crazy stuff. Some, you know, not as bananas, but pretty bananas. And this story is also different because it's about a corporate plane, not a, a cargo plane. Right, a corporate jet, corporate which jet. is much smaller. But in this case, it actually holds people, right? So before we had uh, four on board, mm-hmm. and that was a huge million pound airplane. Now in uh, East Coast Jets 88, we have eight on board. And it is a small airplane that weighs 25,000 pounds. So what would a big airplane weigh? Like a 747 is over a million pounds. The 787 is about 550,000 pounds. A typical jetliner like you would get on Southwest would weigh about 200,000. So we're so talking th- about 25,000? Yeah. So very small. Small. And, and, and only can seat six, pe- uh, six, like six passengers and Plus two pilots. Pilot. But so when you still... say a corporate airplane, you also mean a passenger airplane. Yes. Corporate jet, like a VIP, Ooh, VIP transport. Fancy. So it's a little different. We're going to kind of run through it. Hopefully, you know, you could, you're still going to be able to pick mm-hmm. out all the weird stuff. July 31st, 2008 is the date. I think that's like, or 20 years more recent than Tiger 66 that we covered in the la- last episode. 
Which was in 89. 89. So yeah, Yeah. flash forward 20 years. So we're going to talk about the airplane. Then we're going to talk about the operator. And then we're going to go through the the crew and the events. So I always like to give a little like preview so you understand what kind of airplane Mm -hmm. we're talking about. So we said it's 25,000 pounds. It's considered a mid-sized corporate jet. I mean, if you saw it and got in it, you would be like, this is this feels kind of small. You'd be able to stand up in it, but it would feel tight. You know, there's one one seat on each side, and it's only six, maybe eight passengers in back. These airplanes are designed to be able to fly maximum sort of coast to coast. So take off from New York and land in LA. That's kind of like the that's kind of like the sweet spot for these guys because you don't really want to sit in that airplane for what we say the 747 could fly for like 16 hours or something. You don't want to be in this little airplane for that long. Right. You want to kind of be in there for five hours. Right? And it, is- it seems like the point of it being so small and also being a jet is to jet back and forth. Right. And and it's VIP. So it's all nice and, you know, it's really very posh. So- I now understand the name of your firstborn child. <laughs> right. I never exactly. did before. Because he started jetting back and forth. I was like, what, what are we going to call oh this gosh. kid? Hey, you. His, ki- his kid's name is Jet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's an interesting name. And I just got it. There you go. There you go. So this airplane in particular oh is the gosh. Hawker 800. It's a mid-sized corporate jet. So that means it, it's it got decent range, but it's not very it's not very large. Still takes two pilots. Um, comfortable cabin. So in terms of thinking about it, it's you would walk up to it and be like, this is pretty small. It feels very private, but it also feels very, like I said, like posh. It's like VIP. I don't, I'm not personally type rated in this aircraft, but. Uh, and when a, you say type rated. That means uh, trained to fly this particular type, right? Each, so you have to go through training for each new airplane that you fly. Each new aircraft type. Yeah. All right. So this one I'm not trained in. I used my buddy Wes. He is trained in this type of airplane. I used him as a material expert. And nice. I said, hey, Wes. You know, what about this airplane? What does it do? How does it feel? What happened in this accident? So we talked about that. So he gave me some good stuff. Nice. So we'll go through that. This aircraft is was originally designed by British Aerospace in England. And it was designed as what's called the BA-125. Um, not that that really matters, but it was assembled by Hawker Beechcraft in Wichita, Kansas. And um, that la- that company was a U.S. company, later bought by Textron, you know, it's corporate conglomerate. Okay. It started with a... With, so I got bought and then I got bought. Yeah, most of these things started as military contractors and they, they you know, they built like military planes and then they kind of turned into VIP and then they kind of like sold and got bought and got sold and got bought. So this, this company has changed hands a number of times. The BAE-125 is one of the longest running series of corporate jets and had a slow evolution. It was based... Like one was based on the next one, right? So we said like with Tiger 66, it was like the 747-100 and the next generation was the 200 and now we're at the 800. That's kind of where we are with this too. That's normal for aviation to kind of progress like that. And it actually did start at the, it was a BAE 125 and then it was a 125, 400, 500, 600, 700. Then we had the 800 and then we have the 850, 900, and 950. So this is not a new airplane, but it's not particularly old so either. So what what hundred are we at right now? We're at 800. 800. Today, the aircraft isn't in, in production anymore. They stopped production. But the Hawk? Hawker. Hawker. Yeah, Hawker. Let's see. This series, this particular, the 125-800 that we're going to talk about, was the most popular of all the whole Hawker series. And it was not even by a little bit. So the Hawker 800 series became a sales success and the most successful airframe for that line, for like the Hawker line. It's because it looked prettier, to be honest. It used to have like a weird snub nose windshield and they smoothed the windshield and they made it look futuristic. And people bought it. They liked it. It's amazing. They thought, well, it's sexy. It's why a lot of people buy cars too, right? True. They look at them and they go, I want to drive that car. Oh, it looks cute. Shiny. And they don't really care what's inside. I mean, that drives specs, a lot of... you know. Right. That drives a lot of corporate jet sales. They don't care what's inside of it. They're just like, oh, well, that looks... I'd like to be seen driving that. Right. It's a good marketing tool. Yeah. Now the airplane is very comfortable. It's quiet. Kind of goes a long way. It's 
it's not terribly uneconomical to operate. Although, as an aside, I am going to say one of the reasons I went to the airlines is because the average corporate jet passenger per mile makes 50 times more carbon emissions than the average passenger per mile in a jetliner. So working for an airline speaks to me from an environmental point of view. Yeah, from an environmental wow, perspective. That's, that's a huge difference. It is a huge difference. You said 150 percent 50 50 times 50 times more 50 so that's like per passenger is that 500 percent or 5,000 percent i'm not sure it's 50 times more carbon Don't per passenger mile uh, <laughs> i'm not math, a math, math person no 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 <laughs> but it does it speaks to my um it speaks to my environmental i worked in corporate for 19 years and i just i, I never sat with me you're so much happier now and how much fuel we put in that airplane to just take right. like one person across the country literally right. one person i, I mean really thought about it yeah because that's going right up in the air so i am typerated in the boeing 757 and 767 which are really big airplanes as well and they carry the 767 carries about 280 290 passengers it burns four times more fuel than this hawker 800 so it carries 290 passengers and burns four times more gas than this Hawker that only carries six. Okay. I mean, that's... So, yeah, doing the division, that's the, definitely going to be a much higher percentage. That's like the 50 times more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of corporate aviation, mm -hmm. just from an environmental perspective. So let's get back to the series. So the Hawker 800 was an immediate success because it was sexier. All of the, all of the airplanes in that line prior to the Hawker 800, they had only sold 500 total airplanes. So the 400, the 500, the 600, and the 700, they'd only sold 500 total airplanes since 1961. That doesn't sound like they're doing very good. They're really not. That's why they were, that's why the company was sold, bought. They made 500 airframes from 1961 until the Hawker 800 came out in the early 90s. Now, they sold 200 Hawker 800s within the first five years. So they sold a lot of these airplanes. So now they're pretty common. And this aircraft, this type of aircraft is still being operated. It never went away. It's still being flown. 20 years later. Yeah, and it's relative, and it and it still feels and looks relatively new. And they've been able to like add updates and things like that to mm -hmm. it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Especially made... if people really only look at the aesthetics. Right. It's very easy to make aesthetic changes. And th that's funny that you say that because the Hawker 800 looks like the next newer models. They didn't really change the look of the airplane for the next newer models. So you can get an older airplane, paint it, and it looks new. Nice. So that's why these are still around as well. I mean, they're good and reliable airplanes, but, but it spoke to people's... I want to look cool. I want to like own a private jet. I didn't personally, like I said, I, I never flew this type, but we, the company that I worked for flew M&M and 50 Cent. And I remember that story. All of these people on, <laughs> on the, the, this airplane was popular. Right. They flew the Dalai Lama. They flew Stevie Nicks, stuff like that on this, on this particular type the of airplane. Wigs. And some of those people flew on this airplane that we're going to talk about. This right. exact one. This exact airplane. So we're clear about the airplane in question. The Hawker. 800. 800. Yep. So let's talk about the operator. So when you have an airplane, you have to have somebody who operates it. What? Yeah. It's it funny doesn't like fly that. itself? No. Oh, I guess that would put you out of business. Out it of work. would. Tesla's on its way. <laughs> when Tesla comes up with the self-driving airplane. Oh. I'm no, just, thank I'm, you. I'm, I ain't getting in any kind of self-driving anything. No. And I've heard this argument before. People go, oh, well, you're going to be replaced by a machine. They still use operators on the subway. And that's a train. Right. It can't go really left and right. It only goes back and forth. Just fewer jobs, not zero. Fewer jobs, not zero. Perfect. So it still requires two pilots. So for every airplane, you have to have an operator. And especially if you're talking about 135 carrier, because it's considered an air carrier. Because they are like advertising to the public to say, we can take you from point A to point B. Now it's very expensive. But for the people that have it, like I said, Eminem or Stevie Nicks or whatever, I mean, 
economies of scale on this particular airplane, it might cost $35,000 for you to hire that airplane to fly you from New York to LA. Might be a little more, a little less. Pennies. Right, just pennies. I mean... <laughs> Pocket change. Right, I got. I have that much money too, so it's... <laughs> it's half of my student debt. But that is that is kind of the the kind of market we're talking about. People that don't want to sit on an airline in, and get stuck in the middle seat. People that don't want to deal with the rabble. Or the real market for corporate airplanes is you want to go from, let's say, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to somewhere in Kentucky or somewhere in Missouri or somewhere in mm-hmm. Kansas that doesn't have airline service and you want to go straight there. Right. I mean, that's, Time is money. Time is money. And that's that's the market. That's a great way to do it if you have the money. With well, the 1%. Yeah. The 0.1%, right. The 1% or, or, or less, right. <laughs> I take coach. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> no, you when said, I don't get a window seat, a front window seat. You're flying the airplane. Don't even. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. So this aircraft is being operated by a company called East Coast Jets because we covered that. It's the name of the flight is East Coast Jets 81. So we covered that in the beginning. So this one's being operated by East Coast Jets. They are based in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Their major market is New York. Makes sense. It's cheap to keep an airplane in Allentown, but you have a major market in New York. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to fly to New York and pick up your passengers and then take them where you where you want because it's a really short flight. It's Allentown to like uh, Teterboro. Sounds like it's less than an hour. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 15 minutes in an airplane. Yeah, really not very far. Down the road. East Coast Jets is an aircraft operator. They have a variety of aircraft, Learjets and Hawkers. That's what they're operating at the time of of this incident. I think they're I think the Hawker was their largest airplane. Some were under management, which means basically you would bring your airplane to them and they would manage it for you. Okay. And some are actually owned by the company and operated sort of like a taxi cab, which is a little rare. Most companies don't really own their own airplanes. East Coast Jets is still in business today. They do what's called retail charter and wholesale charter and aircraft management. Retail charters, you could call them directly and say, I want to fly from point A to point B. Wholesale charter would mean that you go through a third party. Like, I'm going to get my guy to call you. So your guy would call them. Now your guy's taking a cut. Right. That's called wholesale. An agent. Right. It's an agent. So that's it. So that's the company. Uh, do you have any questions about the company? Not yet. Pretty decent company. No, no, no history of problems. Nothing really in the past with them. So the crew, the crew consisted of two pilots. Neither pilot had a particularly high amount of experience. The captain had roughly three to four years as a jet pilot. Oh, and the captain probably had three to four years as a pilot, but maybe only two years as a captain. So he's... Two years isn't a long time as a captain? No, not in not in charter operations because you just don't fly that much. Okay. You don't fly as much as you would with an airline, and two years really is just not that much experience. All right. I mean, you got that in dance by the time you were right. how old? There's there's a lot of similarities to I performance, see. aviation performance, and and uh, you know performing arts like you do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities. The longer you've been doing it, the more coordinated you are. The faster you pick it up. Mm-hmm. The the more experiences you have. Yeah. So somebody's. Just the more knowledge and facts too. Right. And you pick up a dance number, like play a song and you'll, you'll pick up the dance number. You'll right. go, oh, I got this piece and I get this piece and I get this piece really quick. Mm-hmm. Pilots are kind of the same. Once you've seen most things, you can kind of understand what's going on. You can kind of be like, oh, I've seen this before. We're not going to make this mistake. Okay. So he's not very experienced. We'll just, we'll just say he's not very experienced. Remember, it takes two to fly the airplane. First officer has just a few months of experience. So everybody has to start somewhere. This first officer just has a few months of experience. This is his very first jet job. I, mm, I just feel like the captain should have been a little more tenured. You're, I'm already getting a little anxious about this setup. What could go wrong? Uh, two newbies. <laughs> yeah, so you got all, almost two newbies flying together. One of them has almost no jet experience. The other one has mostly been a first officer, but has been a captain for... Just a short amount of time. How do the captain and first officer duties differ in, in the big ways? So the captain is the decision maker, essentially. He takes... So we talked in Tiger 66, we talked about how the captain was making the rules. Right. Well, this is modern aviation now. He's not making the rules anymore. 
he's ultimately responsible for the decision but he's listening to the other person and he's making a he's he doesn't making, have all of the authority anymore right he's not, he's not he, do he's, what i say without question right he, he has to consider hey there's this guy and he sees this and and he's trained like that so it's not like it's a huge deal for him to make that type of decision that's not a cultural shift is what i'm saying so and, he's and he's got all the experience of being a first officer right so it's basically he's he has had all the training and the experience it's just now everything rests on his shoulders like he takes the hit it's he the, takes the heat it's what we call like the ultimate authority so he's going to take all the sources and kind of combine them together and go okay now we're going to do this but he's going to listen to the first officer right. because the culture has changed and they're both trained to be captains on the airplane like we talked about before with tiger 66 they're both trained to be captains on the airplane. He's so air quotes around captains on the airplane. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah, you guys can't see my air quotes. But they're, they've both gone through the same training. And they both passed the training. They have a comparable skill level, but not a comparable experience level. But like you said earlier, when we were talking, not on the podcast, the training schools that pilots would go to. Particularly it, corporate pilots. Corporate pilots. They would just pass people to get their payment it's kind of pay for training pay for training it really is and they're not gonna like not pass you just because you're a little bit shaky which is yeah you talked about the moral integrity about putting somebody (sighs) so as the pilot skill you have to be greatly negligent to fail this school right you have to be but also like if you don't apply yourself if you're not really paying attention and then they pass you and all of a sudden you're pilot of an airplane you don't know what you're doing kind of deal yeah whose fault is it right right it actually rests so he's had the training but who's to say that he you know was he's very good student yeah a good student and and unlike the airlines which the airlines keep very good records unlike the airlines essentially in the corporate world you just get a p for pass or an F for fail. So there's not going to be like a grading system. You're not going to be a 1 to 5 or a 1 to 10. Like this guy did this really well. This guy did this badly. You're just going to get a pass or fail. So both. So all we know about these guys' trainings. Is that they technically did it. And they passed. <laughs> and they that, technically took the training. Right. They took, they took the training and they passed. And that's all we really know about this. So that's almost a whole other podcast, to be honest. Like, like pay to play. That's a, that's a big problem. But I want to point out that we talked about this earlier how that doesn't only happen in the aviation world. Right. That happens in a lot of industries. Yep. And aviation is no different. So let's go on to the flight and the events. East Coast Jets takes off from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yes. And they go to a, they fly to Atlantic City Airport. All right. They pick up six passengers, and the passengers are all from this casino called Revel Casino. Okay. Okay. That casino, Revel Casino, owns Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Okay. And the, the building that was then under construction is now the tallest building in Atlantic City. So Ocean City Resort building was under construction. Yes. So now this... So basically what I'm saying is these guys are connected with a casino. Uh, so before we talk on, let's talk about the day so far. So there's some question about whether the pilots were tired. I'm pretty sure they were tired. In Charter, you're going to show up an hour before the flight time. So we can surmise that they departed Allentown around 6 to 6.30 a.m. To show up in Atlantic City at 7 a.m. Because their pickup is at 8 a.m. That means they arrived at the airport at 5 a.m. Right. To leave Allentown. We can only guess when they woke up. But it's 3.30 to 4 a.m. Really. Right. right. They need to get up. They need to get ready. They need to get to the airport an hour early, which is 5. Mm-hmm. They need to depart at 6 to be at the Atlantic City by 7. Do you have any knowledge about... If uh, they were working late the night before, or if they'd been on resting for a day or two, or I don't know how much they had worked the day it's before. A quick turnaround or something, but like they that. have to get at least, I think, ten hours of rest. Right. So they have to have a minimum rest, but that's good. Ten hours is not much. Let's say you live an hour from the airport. Exactly. How much rest are you really going to get? I'm not going to surmise that they lived an hour or didn't. Like I said, yeah. like I said in episode one, I don't look too much into the crew. I'm just kind of throwing out the facts and you can kind of think these guys got up really early in the morning. That's right. sort of the point. Whether they worked the day before, it uh, the NTSB doesn't really say. Hopefully they got sleep, but they may have not. They may have not. That's right. The difference between airlines and charter is that in the airlines, if you don't get enough sleep, 
you just call in fatigued. You say, I didn't get enough sleep. I can't fly this airplane. That is kind of a strike against you, quote unquote, but it's not really a big deal. They don't want you to fly fatigued. Right. With charter, the staffing levels are such that... I see. So they're under pressure to perform. I so see. that's that's the first. It's common for them to show up an hour early, so we kind of covered that. So now the aircraft departs Allentown, goes to Atlantic City. It's being operated under the call sign East Coast Jets 81. They depart Atlantic City at 8.15 a.m. for Awatana Airport in Minnesota. All right. There are six passengers on board now. Two pilots, six passengers, eight total. They were flying out to Awatana to meet with a glass manufacturer and Awatana sits well south of Minneapolis and well north of Des Moines. So it's kind of in the middle, middle between. Nowhere. It's really Just in the middle nowhere. of nowhere. Right. So they fly there. It takes exactly one minute shy of two and a half hours to get there. The airplane is cleared to land at 9.45 a.m. local. Central time. Quick. Yeah. So a quick flight. So it kind of illustrates if you wanted to fly from Atlantic City to Awatana, Minnesota, and you wanted to do it direct in two and a half hours, there's not really another way to do it. Right. Corporate jet is, in that in that instance, serves a purpose. The rest of my analysis is based on the NTSB uh, video that's available on YouTube, actual cockpit voice recorder, which I listened to, which is very painful. But wait around and see what happens. So the crew seems to be in good spirits. They don't really talk about any problems at all. They're chilling, they're flying, they're clear to land. The occasional curse word pops up because they're dealing with some weather. They're kind of like going in and out of the weather. There's some clouds around. You can hear the rain. So sometimes the rain hits the windshield. So you can hear the rain on the windshield. But there's it's just kind of scattered clouds at the airport. So it's not raining. So it's probably safe to say that a frontal system had kind of gone through and they navigated around that. Frontal system? You know when it's like real warm out and then it rains and gets cold? Like it just did here in Atlanta? Okay. That's called a cold front. So that's probably what they were dealing with. It, they kind of went through it, navigated around it. They asked the air traffic control for some deviations to go around some storms. And they chatted amongst themselves between the two crew members about there being weather here and being weather there kind of around them. Right. And you can hear some rain from time to time, which is none of this is abnormal. So I think it's safe to say that the runway may have been damp, but it wasn't wet. Okay. That's kind of important because if it's a wet runway, it could cause like hydroplaning or like, mm-hmm. poor, I mean, like in a car. Right. It's wet, right? So you might slide off the road. Like I said, it's safe to say that it may be damp, but it's not raining. It's not wet. So then the crew goes through all the landing checks. All indications are normal. This is where it gets weird. Okay. Hang on to your seat. This is what happened. According to the cockpit voice recorder, they touched down four seconds after 9.45 a.m. Okay. You can hear the tires rolling down the runway. Okay. So you can hear it. They touch. And on the cockpit voice recorder, which is just a microphone in the cockpit that picks up the sound of the pilots, the sound of the mechanicals. Mm-hmm. Like It's a small area, right? The cockpit. It's really small. Yeah. These guys, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting you bring that up. These guys are probably 12 to 15 inches apart. Their shoulders. Okay. It's pretty tight. You have to step up onto the seat or over the seat to get into the cockpit. So it's unlike a jetliner, which like the seat kind of pulls away and you walk in. More like a convertible. (laughs) Yeah, this is like getting in a really tight car. You know, sort of like I could equate it to like climbing in a race car. Everything's just more uh, compact. Right, because you have to get all the same systems in this little airplane as you have in the big airplane. Mm -hmm. Pressurization and hydraulics and brakes and all that stuff. But you have a much smaller space to put it in. So we hear rolling. So he touches down at 9.04. We hear rolling. The first officer indicates that the lift dump system is working. So basically, this you ever land in a jetliner and it goes... And the engines spool up and it kind of shakes? Uh That's called a thrust reverser. So the engine... There's like a mechanical system that makes the thrust go the opposite way around the engine. Kind of driving the airplane backwards. Stopping it. Like you would put a ceiling fan one way or another to push the air down or up. Exactly. So it'd be like a ceiling fan going one way and you flip the switch and it turns the other way. Mm -hmm. This airplane is not equipped with that system. Okay. This airplane just has what's called a lift dump system. So parts of the wing just kind of fold down at a 90 degree angle. I've seen that. Right. Big um, 
corporate airplanes? Big like airliners. Airliners is the word I'm looking um, for. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they have lift dump. They, and maybe they also, it's on top of the That's called a spoiler. A yes, spoiler. That's part the, of the lift dump system. The thing that pops system. up to help push. Absolutely. And on this airplane, it has spoilers. And it has the the flaps in the back of the wing, you know, the ones that roll out. It turns down. It kind of like just flips down to a so 90 degree. So there's one degree. on top and bottom. And bottom. Instead of that. Thrust reverser. Thrust reverser. Right. Okay. The first officer says lift dump is working, but then he changes his mind and he says lift dump system has failed. It's not working. Apparently it didn't work like it was supposed to. So mind you now the airplane is rolling down the runway and we have some back and forth now while it's rolling down the runway between the crew. So the crew is kind of arguing back and forth to, to, to say, is it working? Is it not working? I'd like to point out at this point that this airplane is traveling probably around 135 miles an hour. Right. And how long is a runway normally? And how long would it normally so take? So this you to runway slow is five thousand feet long, one mile. One mile? That's mm-hmm. it. This this particular runway. Is how, one mile. How long are most runways? I feel like they're longer than a that. A lot longer. You know that that's an obstacle with corporate aviation is that you're going to an airport, Awatana, Minnesota. Right. I'll probably like smaller landing. But strips. it's smaller. Yeah, it's smaller. But you can kind of see the problem. They're yeah. rolling down the runway really fast. That one extra system that they have is to not, help stop them is what the latch maybe or yeah, something. Yeah, something mechanical to, maybe or is maybe something that you check the. Yes, okay. and they got all normal indications. Oh, no. So we're not really sure what was going on, but we do know that the airplane is rolling tire, rolling sound, and they're arguing. The captain who is flying, so the captain in this instance is the pilot flying. He never steps on the brakes. So your most effective system for stopping an airplane when you're on the ground, that just like a car. That was my next question is, do airplanes have brakes, brakes on the wheels? Yes. Very effective brakes. So the lift dump doesn't work, but he never steps on the brakes. They're talking about, did it work? Didn't it work? All the meantime, this airplane's rolling down the runway at 130 miles, 125 miles. You could just be riding the brakes a little bit, just right? push on the brakes, right? Just press the brakes. But he doesn't press the brakes. Then does the first officer also have the ability to press the brakes? He does. Okay. He has brakes on his side too. So they're just arguing. We can hear on the in the cockpit voice recorder that somebody then takes the handle for the lift dump system and stows it. Click. We can hear it go forward. So now they've abandoned the lift dump system. Okay. Okay. Now, this airplane doesn't have a flight data recorder. And that is... That means that we can't see the position of... So in a, in a jet, in a big jetliner, you can see the position of everything. There's a computer that records what switches, where the flaps are, what happened when you pulled the control wheel. After the fact. All It you... just records it in real time. And after the fact, it's kind of like the cockpit voice recorder, the black box. Right. But for like aircraft, air, airplane data. So if something does go wrong, you can you, you can, can analyze, you, see what exactly what. Yeah, could have and it's happened. all time stamped, so you can read the co- cockpit voice recorder, read the flight data recorder, and be like, "Oh, he touched this button, he did this, he grabbed this handle." This airplane doesn't have a flight data recorder. It's not required to have a data recorder. It has a cockpit voice recorder. So do airliners? Those are required to have those flight data recorder. Yes, absolutely. We talked about the airplane's now rolling down the runway. You hear some clicking sounds. So pilots in the know can listen to these noises on the CVR and they can figure out what it is. So if you'd driven a a certain type of car and somebody played the door locking sound to you, you would recognize it. Yes. Or someone, you know, played the sound of the window going up and down. You wouldn't have to see the car. You would just be like, that's the window going up and down. Mm -hmm. So people with a lot of experience can take that sound signature from the microphone and they can say, Oh, that's this lever. I see. That's a switch, or maybe that's a specific type of switch. So they, experts did analyze it, and they listened to it very carefully. So they know... That that click was that that, them abandoning... The lift dump. The lift dump. Right. So we heard clicking sounds back and forth between the pilots. Then, 16 full seconds later, that's when the lift dump gets put away. 16 seconds. So that seems like, I say 16 seconds, and people don't think it's very much. We're going 130 miles an hour. We only have a mile of runway. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's helping them slow down or break. 16 seconds seems like a lot of time. So I did calculations on this. So so let let me boggle your mind for just a second. From the time the airplane touches down to the time 16 full seconds later, okay, Then two seconds after that, so now we're 18 seconds in, the captain says, 
flaps. Then he says, here we go. Two seconds later, after that, now we're 20 seconds in, the engines spool up. You hear them come back to life. Okay, like this guy's going to take the airplane flying again. She's Ooh, just staring at me. My mouth is open. R- right, so he's on the ground. They're now rolling down the runway for 20 full seconds. 18 seconds into that roll, he goes, here we go, pushes the engines forward, and they're going to go flying. Okay, well, if the lift dump system doesn't work, you're already on the ground. He hasn't even tried the brakes yet. Why would you take it back up into the air to risk? Like, once systems already fail, why would you take it back up into the air? Obviously, I, something in the, the check that you have to do beforehand, someone was sleeping. So if he did take it, and he, let's say he he got it airborne, he's going to come back around, and the right. lift dump system probably- it's, Still not going to work. Still not going to work. So we don't really know. This is the po- this is so the point. All at we which hear is the pilot say, "Here we go," and we everybody go. else in the cockpit is just nothing. Do you um, these experts that listen to this? Do they think that everyone else was in on the plan? They hear the first officer move the flap lever. So the first officer is doesn't acknowledge it, but he moves the flap lever. So you can hear the click. Of like, he's setting takeoff flaps now. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about it for a minute. The airplane touches down around 125 to 130 miles an hour. They roll down the runway. They're fumbling with the aircraft for 18 full seconds. So let's do the math. And I did this ahead of time. So we wouldn't have to sit here with a calculator. (laughs) Let's say they slowed to 90 miles an hour during that time. They never touched the brakes. They're just rolling. So it's like just taking your foot off the accelerator. You're just rolling. So as far as we can tell, the the pilots never hit the brakes. So that's an average speed, 90, 125. That's an average speed of 107 miles per hour. That translates to 157 feet per second. That translates into roughly 2,900 feet. Now, airplanes touch down. They're meant to touch down 1,000 feet past the beginning of the runway. So let's see. We have 1,000. Now we've got three. Now we've got 2,900. And this runway is... 5,500 feet long. Ooh. Okay. So by the time we hear the engines come back to life to apparently take off again, the airplane has already rolled over 4,000 feet. Over half. No, no, no. It's like three. Okay. Four fifths. So three quarters. It's only 5,000 feet long and it's already rolled 4,000 feet. So let's say it's basically a mile. It's a little more than a mile. They've rolled four. That's three. They've rolled three quarters of a mile down the runway. So... They don't have much runway left to take off either. They have 1,500 feet. That's a quarter of a mile. That's not so very how far. So how do these runways end? Do they just kind of slope into the dirt? They just end in the grass Okay. or whatever's at the end. In this case, there is an overrun, which is grass, and then cornfields. Okay, so even if the brakes weren't working, we already have the lift dumps. This is not working. Even if the brakes aren't working... You rolling into the grass would slow down the plane and no one would get hurt, right? At worst case, like... You'd it, have to, like, get the plane back on the runway, but... It might damage the airplane, but that's all. But no one would be in any peril. Right. So, the, and the airplane at this point doesn't... It doesn't have critical... I mean, it's got enough fuel, but it's not fueled to the top. Right. So, it's it's got enough fuel to fly for another hour, but that's not a ton of gas. So, it's not like a fireball waiting to happen assuming that it takes a lot more gas to get all the engines running up again yeah so we're gonna burn some of that right when when we decide to take off so now we've we've rolled to where we only have 1500 feet down the runway so we have a quarter of a mile left and that's not much space so it's no wonder that when the captain calls for flaps to take off he moves the flap lever and he says fuck so i'm pretty sure at this point that the first officer recognizes they don't have enough space left. I'm guessing he kind of sees it coming. The captain says, here we go. The first officer says, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, so what do you think is going to happen? Like, it's just, I mean. Nothing good. (laughs) So so I want to point out, like, your deductive reasoning, when I just lay out the facts, you go, okay, they're already on the ground. Given the context that you've given me, this does not sound like a good plan. Even if the brakes didn't work. They roll off into the cornfield. Right. No one's hurt. But they never touched the brakes. But had they even touched the brakes, they probably would have stopped the airplane and went, okay, what happened? Because remember, they spent- Why didn't they just press the brakes? They spent 16 seconds at 100 plus miles an hour just rolling down the runway. They got hung up arguing because the lift dump system 
it's the same thing that happened in the last episode, in our first episode. Just so much arguing in, yeah. in critical decision-making time. Right. The, nobody's really... They're, they're distracted, essentially. They're, like, not paying attention to the reality mm. of, hey, we're going to roll off this runway if we don't do something. We're going to... We have to do something. Right. right. But they're not doing anything. It's inaction. They're just sitting there going, is the lift dump working? And the dude's like, I don't know. The other guy's like, well, is it working? I don't know. It failed. It looks like it failed. Did it fail? So we got 16 two seconds. or three people in the cockpit. So we got two. Okay. Just two pilots in this one. The airplane never gets airborne. It gets stuck in what's called ground effect. Essentially, ground effect is where the airplane can come off the ground, but there's a cushion of air that's supporting it. In order for it to break away from that cushion of air, it needs to gain a lot of speed. But this airplane has not much runway left. They're pulling back, which is causing a lot of drag on the whole airframe. Uh So they're kind of like floating along oddly, trying to get the airplane off. Very indecisive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So the airplane's confused. The airplane is. The airplane's like, hey, I want to fly, but number one, I'm not going fast enough. And it sounds like when you're taking off in an airplane, it would be best to start at a complete standstill and work your way up. Especially in a jet. Right. Especially in a jet. Because you're like already slowing down. You got the whole like inertia kind of physics. And, And, you know, let's talk about the flaps coming up. So he moves the flaps. They're not instant. You know, when you're in the airplane, you look out at the wing and you hear the and you see the Uh flap coming down. That takes time. So when he moves the flaps to the up, I mean, it's got to slowly roll up. So it's not instant. So the captain. It's a couple more seconds. So it's a couple more seconds before the airplane is basically even in a configuration to fly. So the captain's grabbing the control yoke and he's pulling it backwards. But the airplane's not ready to fly. So that pulling it backwards is just going to bring the nose up which makes a lot of drag and it may bring the airplane up, but it, the airplane uh-huh. is not going to actually go fly. It's just kind of, kind of float there. So he should have waited at least a couple more seconds if that was the decision. Yes. That if was that was his with. decision, he could, he should have accelerated to what we call rotation speed, a point at which the airplane can fly away from the ground. Anytime before rotation mm-hmm. speed, if you pull on the airplane, the nose mm-hmm. comes up, the airplane might float, but you're not, mm-hmm. you're not going anywhere. So in that extra thousand feet, do you think that he probably, if he had waited to pull back, do you think that he probably would have made it airborne? There's again? like there's likelihood that had he waited essentially till the end of the runway to kind of yank back, uh-huh. that he could have flown the airplane away. Yeah. But physically, physically, it's a possibility. Does but, the mass support is, I guess. Yeah, but you, you also see, right? Questioning. You see that quarter mile, it's coming closer. The end of the runway is coming right. closer. You know, you, you want to be Anxiety. like, I got to fly. I got to get away from the ground. The airplane never gets airborne. Okay, so he's just pulling it back. So the airplane has to get more speed to get out of ground effect, or it's not going to fly away from the ground. So, so in this, what does happen? They just kind of coast on a couple feet of air. They kind of, yeah, they kind, they're just kind of just floating. They're floating, but they're not really in a flying state. Well, two thousand feet, two thousand feet. So another almost half mile, right? Two a third of a mile from the end, very end of the runway. There's some antennas. It's not really important what the antennas are for. They're like navigational stuff. Anyway, the captain and first officer are just cursing a lot during this time. Fuck, it's not working. You know, and we don't know from the CVR. You can listen to it. Or airdisasters.net, you can listen to the CVR. I don't recommend it. We're floating. We see antennas coming, right? So there's some navigational antennas. Uh And they're over a cornfield. So we can hear the corn hit the airplane. Oh my god. They keep trying to get the airplane to fly for another 11 seconds. 1 2 3 that has to be the longest like 10 seconds. And you're just like you have anxiety. You're just like <sighs> I'm having anxiety just th- just listening to the story. I can't imagine being in that position. The captain and the first officer are watching this happen and the people in the back are probably oblivious. They're, they're, they probably don't know what's going on. In fact, we don't hear anything coming from the back of the aircraft. The The cockpit and the cabin are not very far apart. So we don't hear anything coming from the back. Mm. So they're not yelling. They're not. So there's no indication that the people in the back are scared or have any real idea what's going on. 11 seconds. We hear the airplane chopping down corn at this point. 
So now it's hitting corn, okay? They hit the antennas that are straight off the runway. The impact of the antennas on the right wing, the airplane is torn to pieces, rolls over. How big is this antenna? Is oh, it you're thinking horizontal? Like you know, like a cell ground? phone antenna, yeah. like cell, like a cell tower, essentially. Right. It's it's like a little antenna array, and it's like metal triangular pieces that are kind of just anchored in the ground, sticking up. Okay. And they are only sticking up maybe twenty feet. But the plane hit the antenna. Yeah, it's a structure. So it's not the antenna at the end of the runway. It's a different antenna. No, it's two thousand feet off the I end see, of the I runway. See. Okay. So it's just some. Metal antennas that are kind of sticking out of the ground 2,000 feet down in the cornfield. The aircraft rolls over. It comes to a rest about a half mile from the... um, Rolls over? Yeah, the airplane hits the right wing. Gets The right wing gets torn off. The aircraft rolls over on its top. Oh, gosh. Slides to a stop. Debris field. Eight people are dead. And you're just staring at me. Right. So that's... I mean, this is... I thought that this one wasn't going to end in death. I thought you just said this wasn't an incident. I mean, it's an incident. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you. So now the question is, what caused it? I would say user error. Right. Judgment, right? hmm So we can safely say that they decided to leave the ground. After they were already on the ground. At a point where they had no business. Right. Or being back in the air, you mean? Uh, Yeah. They had no business being back in the air. The airplane's on the ground. It's rolling. Let's call it a day, okay? Brakes, slide off the end of the runway. Look, everybody lives. Airplane might be damaged. You get to go home. You can fix it. You fix it. You trash it. Whatever. doesn't matter. At this point, it's covered under the insurance, and we're not worried about it. People. Was he just mad that he wasn't going to get a smooth landing? I'm not really sure. Why did he never check the brakes? That was the big question. That was the big question. Why did he never put on the brakes? The brakes worked. By all indications, the brakes worked. I'm so confused. I'm confused too. So this is another example where we use this this crash in aviation to study. And we go, what was going through that guy's mind? Okay. We don't know. We can only guess by like the CBR and the... We don't know. I mean, the NTSB says... Fatigue was a contributing factor. Again, with a contributing factor. He wasn't asleep, so... How long had this scheduled flight been on these pilots' calendars? It probably had been there quite some time. Over over two weeks, at least. Uh, Enough for them to have planned. I'd say at least a week. Employer wouldn't have had them fly. Probably not. It happens occasionally where you get, like, last minute. They're not normally going to call you at 3 a.m. for a last minute. Right. Right. So we know these guys got up at 3.30, 3 to 4 But this is their profession. And I know that you have a very weird schedule. Sometimes I do. And so there are times that you have to sleep during the day because you have yes. to fly at night. Right. And that's up to you to be responsible. Right. And that's a good observation. And that's why the fatigue is a contributing factor and not yeah. what caused it. So what actually did cause it? The NTSB says pilot error. Yeah. And leaves the rest to you, to, to, to the public, essentially, to, like, decipher. I would say that the, what was it, the flaps? The lift dump. The lift dump. That's a contributing factor. Maybe a mechanical issue. But that's why you have more than one way to stop the plane. Right. So anytime you stop an airplane, the primary method is the brakes. There are other methods to stop an airplane. The primary method is push the brakes. Also, unless it's severely extenuating, the concept for flying an airplane is once it's on the ground, it's on the ground. Leave it on the ground. Right. And I'm sure that that's been implemented since this incident. Right. So, so you're jumping ahead. So you know where I'm going. So we study this as a way of going, hey, what happened? What can we do for this not to happen again? And, right. and the biggest thing is when the airplane's on the ground, leave it on the ground. If you got to push the brakes, push the brakes. If you're going to run off the runway into a cornfield, run off the runway. Just do it. Go ahead and slide off the runway. The airplane didn't burn. You know, people think about fiery crashes. Uh This airplane hit the tower, ripped apart, rolled over. Everybody dies. There was no fire. There wasn't that much fuel in the airplane. He wasn't carrying a ton of gas. If everybody was buckled in, though, and they flipped on their top, was it it like total kind of crush deal? Yeah, because, I mean, that's actually... 
Maybe. I don't know if that's how airplanes are. So airplanes... Aluminum, I know, is quite malleable. Really malleable. So airplanes never take crashes into consideration as far as structurally. Because you can't that's protect... interesting. Well, you understand that, like, in the last Tiger 66, had that airplane even been a steel tube, the pilot still would have died. Right. So they make it out of aluminum. They make it light. We can't, like, put a crumpled zone in it because it's an aluminum pressurized tube. What about the frame? It's made of ribs that then what are, are ribs covered. made out of? Aluminum. It's all aluminum. Essentially, every part if except the engines are like aluminum. If you steel for the ribs, it would be, would... Too, it would be too heavy. Mm. So it's all weight and efficiency considerations. I see. So there's not really rollover protection. There's no roll cage like in a car. They're wearing seat belts. The seat belts are more there. You know how they tell you, put on your seat belt. That's really kind of in case the pilot just puts on the brakes really quickly. You don't slide out of your seat. The, the, the seatbelt uh, is not really going to do much for you in an actual like flip flip crash. That That's not really designed that way. Oh my goodness. It's designed to kind of just hold you in your seat. If you get jostled, I see. If, if it kind of, if the airplane swerves, there's crosswind, you know, stuff like that. It's not designed to like keep you safe, like a crash, like a car crash. All right. Not designed for that. So the airplane flips over. Gets crushed. It's I aluminum see. tube. It also just tears apart. Aluminum is... I mean, right. you can grab an aluminum can and you can kind of... Right. And that's kind of what happens in this in this instance. They were there. They were on the ground. Right. Okay, what about the people? Were this, there anyone working the runway so that there witnessed are, this? So there are people that were at what's called the FBO, which is like the ga a gas station for airplanes. And they saw it happen. And they're witnesses. So there's trees oh, like three quarters it. of the way down the runway. The airplane rolls down the runway, shows no signs of stopping. The airplane disappears behind the trees. So the runway is still, you know, going beyond there. They just can't quite see it because there's like a, a little line of trees. The airplane disappears behind the line of trees. And then the people at the FBO, the workers that were waiting there for the aircraft, hear the engine spool back up. And that's all the way down at the end of the runway. And they kind of... Do they have any... They um, interviewed them and they were kind of Kind of radio like, contact with the plane? The people on the runway, do they have any kind of... No, it's uncontrolled. That means it doesn't have a tower. This really takes us back to the fact that this was the first... Uh, first officer. Why do I... I can never remember No, that's that. okay. You're fine. The first officer's first time flying the jet? Uh, not first time, but he's just... Relatively couple, new. Couple, yeah, a couple, couple months. Yeah, a couple months. Yeah, he really is probably... Just a dozen flights, and a, or and a relatively new captain as well. Mm -hmm. This is probably not the kind they probably shouldn't have been on an uncontrolled flight, operating an uncontrolled flight. I mean, it depends on the skill of the pilot, and they did evaluate him. So the company has to give him like certification to go fly the aircraft. So he has to be certified by the training facility, but he also has to be certified by what's called the Czech Airman of the company. So the Czech Airman had to like go fly with him and check him out. You don't know the circumstances. Like his check flights may have gone perfectly, but maybe nothing ever failed on his check flights. So you can't, you kind of can't, it's like the crusty captain in flight 66. When things go really wrong, you can't really predict sometimes what people are going to, how people are going to react. Is this that something guy, that's been implemented in training since then? So we trained for a variety of but situations. But was that not part of the training before then? So what wasn't part of the training before then is during a brief now, most first officers are empowered to say, if you see something happening, go ahead and put on the brakes. We'll talk about it after the airplane stops. Okay. Okay. That's kind of a result of this crash. So the first, so the captain says, here we go. The first officer clicks the flaps and goes fuck and in that moment he could have he should have said nope and if stop, he stop, slammed stop. on the brakes the, the captain would have had, had to stop right there would not have been a choice because the first officer has brakes on his side the and if one person presses those brakes the other person can't like deactivate the other person's brakes right. even with the engine spooled up had that first officer crammed on the brakes the airplane may not have stopped, but the captain would have been like, uh, we can't go fly because this dude's on the brakes. My he had the opportunity. My confusion is not lifting. <laughs> <sighs> I'm still so confused. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like the level of confusion. So less of a shit show than Tiger 66, Le right? Yes. But a critical error at a critical time. Right. What really haunts me about this one is that there's 20 seconds of rolling tire noise and they're just arguing. 
And then he says, here we go. The dude says, the other guy says, fuck. Then the engines come up and now it's 11 seconds of just them knocking down corn. So I, I also feel that when they're knocking down corn instead of flying, somebody could have just pulled that power to idle. The airplane would have just smashed down in the mud and slid to a stop and everybody would have lived. It wasn't until they hit that antenna structure with the right wing that it ripped off and rolled the airplane over and killed everybody on board. There's a solid 30 seconds in here where either pilot could have said, hey, I don't want to do this. Right. Five seconds before they hit the antenna. Right. Pull the throttle to idle. Let that thing set in the mud. Yeah. In the cornfield. You're probably still going to live. What if they put those engines back up? <sighs> that just is so confusing. Yeah, so this podcast is not always going to be super, <laughs> super fun. <laughs> the last one we could kind of like, we could kind of like make some light of it like will, the, It was, like you said, comedy of errors. It, it really was it like was a comedy. It was so extreme that you can't do anything except laugh at it. You know, I remember right. situations are just so extreme. You can either break down or you can laugh at it. Like one time I got lost in France with my friend. And we were so lost trying trying to get to the airport for right. our flight. Right. And so we instead just kept, of just losing, it's completely a, losing right. it. And we just laughed hysterically. Yeah. Right. That's so what that's, happened with Tiger 66. Right. With this, I honestly didn't see it coming because it sounded like they had pretty much everything working for them besides the lift dump. That was it. One one mechanical and issue. Had, and they, they had, had brakes. They had brakes. They still had breaks. So uh, this is why I, I show, uh, this is why we did this one is because it shows that just decisions at the wrong moment, but also this, I like things, I like to, to, to study these things and look at them, like these incidents and look at them over the time frame, an honest 30 seconds, which is a really long time to look at that and say, 30 seconds, mm -hmm. you argued, you talked about the lift up. And this is. Pretty much what happened with Tiger 66 too. Just lots and lots of arguing. Right. The first Where are pilot we? saying cuss words. Like, right. Oh, no. This is. Oh, oh. Right. Oh. Right. <laughs> Tiger 66. And this guy goes, fuck. And then they're cutting through the cornfield. And these guys are just. Silent? They're cursing up a storm. Oh, shit. We're not going to fly. Holy fuck. You know. Someone make a decision. Yeah. Stop cursing and make a decision. So. This is a kind of like out of nowhere. It really is an out of nowhere. Like with Tiger 66, we saw that it was. We saw it coming from a We saw away. it coming. I mean, you, you called that. We were like at, we were three, we were three minutes into like this happened and you were like, oh no, that's not good. <laughs> right? It's like, I can see where this is going. I see where this is going. But these guys. But you're like, no, they touched down. They touched down. <laughs> everything's like, fine. What? We hear rolling tires. What is this incident? <laughs> Now what's going to happen? I just, they hit somebody on the runway. Mm, <laughs> wow. So, you know, this is the head scratcher. Mm. So these incidents, they teach us a lot as pilots. But I can I, what I so appreciate about this is I describe the, the circumstances to you and you go, why didn't they put on the brakes? You're not a pilot. Right. This is, you said common sense is uncommon. <laughs> this is so pretty, is. but this is way common sense, right? Well, okay. Going if I back put Alyssa in that cockpit, I, I think that Alyssa would be like, <laughs> where's the fucking brakes, dude? Back to fatigue being a contributing factor. Right. I know that if I go into a shift at work and I'm a server, so you have to be thinking about a million things at once, doing right. a million things at once. Right. If I'm fatigued, my brain isn't working. I'm not able to make those split second decisions that I'm normally able to do without question. And that could second nature. And these guys could have been in that in that yes. condition where they're like, "Man, I really want to get to the hotel." Right? They they they've right. touched down. They've almost kind of in this instance. I feel like they've almost kind of like they checked out. They're yeah. They're like, "We're there. We're here. Just, yeah. All we got to do now is just drive over there, turn off the engines. We're gonna go." take a nap uh-huh and that's how that can be at the end of a shift too i know like when everybody gets cut i can feel like and i'm like this when i'm super tired or i can feel my coworkers. everyone just kind of like slows down for a second and because we all slow down for that 10 20 minutes before right. we start all of our side work we have to do in order to actually leave the restaurant mm -hmm. 
it ends up taking us an extra hour of being there total because we slow down. Right, because you, what have you done? You've anticipated that you're- Anticipation. To get off work, right? You're like, yes. pretty soon, I'm going to get off work. Mm-hmm. And the truth is- But if you just keep going, 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 then you actually will get off of work soon. Yeah, you're going to get off work quicker. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to make those decisions. You're going to say, you know what? If I just hustle through this, then I can go home. Yes. And these keep guys- pushing. Keep yeah, pushing. Yeah, they landed. And then they checked out. And they checked out. And they, they weren't there. And then eventually the captain was like, hey, I got to do something. And he made the wrong decision. But what's baffling is that the first officer recognizes it. Right. And he goes along with it. He does. Because he's inexperienced. And because the captain is inexperienced too. So this brings me back to me asking you about, um, you know, you said the captain maybe didn't have anything go wrong in any of those tests Very that possible. he had to pass. Well, the he has trainings to, he, nowadays. So is, his tra- so there was things that went wrong in his training, but it probably wasn't. It's not this scenario. Okay. So in training nowadays, do you have kind of like that? When this happens, you do this. That's kind of drilled into your head. Oh, absolutely. That's just one uh, hundred. This is happening. Boom! I do this. Yep. So there's no kind of arguing. Absolutely. Yep. And that's because of this flight that that training was implemented? Or do you think... I think that, the, that these that, that pilots was, also had that kind of training? They had that kind of they training. Did. Because I was first trained in jets in 2004. And we're talking 2008 right Eight. now. Yeah. And I remember my first training being, if this, then this. There's memory items. There's like, hey, you got to yeah. do this. You got to do this. this. So by 2004, we really... You know, by, by... Really by like 1995, we kind of really had a... We had a lot of it worked out. So by the time we go to, by the time we get to 2005, 2008, when this happened, these guys were well-trained. They were trained. They knew, but this situation hadn't happened to them. And now you got to add a little bit of fatigue on top of that. Then neither of them are particularly experienced. They're going to an airport they've Mm -hmm. never been to. They're flying super early in the morning. They just drove through they just flew yeah. through a bunch of storms and whenever you are inexperienced there is a level of anxiety and self-doubt that's coursing through your system for real as well yeah and pilots that's gonna compensate, make you second guess your but gut pilots compensate for that with their egos <laughs> <laughs> we learned that in oh, our last did. episode you don't really true, need to listen true. to it if you haven't so, so i feel like what you just touched on is probably true you have 18 seconds of rolling sound where this captain is ticking. He's ticking through options in his head, right? He's going, wait, the lift up doesn't work. And he's also what? the pilot flying at the time. He is. So he's the captain. He's the pilot flying. And he's ch- checking these options in his head, right? And he picks the what would the other, wrong what would, one. It was lift up, brakes, take off. That's the only three I can re- flaps. imagine. Flaps, right? That's it. The flaps were already up. The fla- Right. That's it. <sighs> Sir... I know. I'm like, man, sir. Whoa. So what are we doing here? You know, so we did learn some things in this in this episode. And I think it was a great second episode. I agree. Um, Just to cover like the weird stuff that goes through your brain and you're staring at me again like, whoa. <laughs> it- well, because for a second, I was uh, I was really uh, not expecting this to be ending in any fatalities. It's a ride. They're not going to all end in fatalities. I promise you. Okay. But you're not going to know, which is the most, right. which is fun. See, I was under the impression today you said that it was, this, is, this isn't a crash. It's more of an incident. So I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> well, so I like, like, tri- I like no tr- one's dying today. I like to trick you like that. <laughs> you, you got me. No, it's good. But, <laughs> okay. But as a second episode, what do you think? It, it's pretty shocking. Yes. Yeah. Surprise ending. Surprise you know, ending. With uh, our first episode. You could see it coming a mile away, but it just kept escalating and escalating. Oh, and eventually you're like, you know? these guys can't possibly live. I mean, there's like, <laughs> they're ignoring this, they're doing that. To the there's point a where mountain you just have to laugh way, at like, it. And this one, oh, they land. <laughs> hey, everything's fine. I'm fo- just more could, confused. What could possibly go wrong now? We've already right. landed. So what came out of this is essentially airplanes on the ground. Leave it on the ground. Leave it, leave it on the ground. We're going to cover some common other sense we're going to cover some that common. Cover, <laughs> You're right. We're going to cover some other instances and we're going to also talk about concrete arresting system. So like aerated concrete that kind of like will the airplane will sink into the concrete and Ooh. dissipate all its energy. So this particular type of concrete that would be placed at the end of runways 
okay. was designed to help with instances like this. Okay. So that is something that... At least the whole aviation business is on top of really analyzing and choosing to learn and take extra precautions to prevent those things from ever happening again. I mostly would like to say you're, you're right. The, unfortunately, almost everything that we do in aviation is like learned by blood. It's like written in blood. All the rules. Trial and error. All the, it's kind of trial and error, right? So we're going to do some old crashes too. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some old incidents, some old crashes. And by the time we get there, you're going to be like, I got this. You're going to be like, I see what happened. I already know what happened. Because the lessons from way back, you'll go, he's not supposed to do that. I mean, I've already learned so much. Right. And I, I feel pretty assured that if you had put a newbie in this airplane and said, okay, you're rolling down the runway, you're going 120 miles an hour, you have brakes, but other mechanical systems aren't working. They would have been like, oh, well, we should put on the brakes. I'm going to put my brakes on. I'm going to put my brakes oh, on. Dirt, dirt, dirt. So sometimes, so sometimes <laughs> being a pilot is like, well, I can fix this. I'm Mr. Ego. I'm going fi- to I'm gonna rescue. I'm going to save that's the day. That's what I'm picking up on. Yeah. It sounded I like he just really this... wanted his landing to be perfect. He, and he wanted... was gonna, he was wanted to be so perfect that he was willing to risk taking it back up in the air again just to just to be able to say to I saved the day. The just to say, oh, the lift dump didn't work, so we took it up and we flew around and we landed again. And that's kind of I have been questioning the moral integrity of the human population more and more these last couple of weeks, especially these last couple of episodes. Oh. Ego over lives. Definitely. Right. Plus your own. And and I think we talked about this. You know, the pilot is the first one to arrive at the crash. And exactly. it's no different in this in this instance either. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wrap it up on that note. Um, I appreciate you being here, Alyssa. I, pre- I love your expressions. You're killing me. She just stares at me. Mouth open a little bit. Eyebrows up. Eyebrows up. I, what? I can feel my eyes bugging out of my head. Oh my God. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's great. I love these surprise episodes. I've got more surprises up my sleeve. So tune in. More is coming. So anyway, thanks so much for being here. Thanks I so appreciate the, the second episode. Great. Great again. So. Thank you. And also, this is so not helping with my flight anxiety. <laughs> well, I, I okay. So it was a quick disclaimer. Probably don't listen to this if you have flight anxiety. <laughs> Says the guy after, at the end of the second episode. <laughs> after we shot our, after we finished the first episode, I said, "So do you remember how I told you how I have really bad flight anxiety?" And he said, "Yeah." Is this helping? <laughs> and I said, "No." <laughs> Well, I mean, quick event- disclaimer at the very end of the episode. But by the time we're done, okay. So by the time we're done, our like, by the time we're done, our two hundred or whatever episodes, because I mean, there's so many crashes and incidents that we could never get them through them all. Um, by the time we're done, those you're going to be a well-trained pilot. I'm just going to fly the plane myself. Hey, I believe you could. You're making me. You're making me think about going to pilot school. There you go. Because I don't know if I can trust anybody else after all of these stories. Hey, I trust you. I saw you drive a race car. Oh. I'm only getting an airplane if you're if you're flying it. <laughs> you said that last time. I'm going to stick by that. <laughs> All right.